And good morning. I'm Gary Randall. Thank you so much for joining me today. Always a pleasure. Today is Monday, September the 21st, 2020, in the year of our Lord. Today on September 21, 1981, the Senate unanimously confirmed the nomination of Sandra Day O'Connor to become the first female justice on the Supreme Court. Today in 1937, The Hobbit by J.R.R. Tolkien was first published. Token, as you may know, was a convert to Christianity. He was led to Christ primarily by his discussions and his reading of what C.S. Lewis had written. Today in 1970, National Football League Monday Night Football made its debut on ABC television. Today in 1985, North Korea and South Korea, their family members, they'd been separated for decades, they were under a special arrangement allowed to visit each other as both countries opened their borders in a family reunion program. I had a lot of contact in the past with Korea. We were deeply involved there in ministry in the country and knew a, a number of the pastors and a lot of the people. And there were people who that was their one prayer that before they died, they could once again visit loved ones, family members in North Korea. The one, the people I knew were in, lived in South Korea. And their prayer was answered. Some of them, in fact, one story I remember a pastor told me about the story of this person in his churches in their 90s, I believe, and they had prayed and prayed that they could once more be reunited for just a period of time with their family in North Korea, and that happened, and the person, within the next two or three days, went on to be with the Lord. Today, in 1996, President Bill Clinton signed the Defense of Marriage Act, denying federal recognition of same-sex marriages. That came a day after he told the country that the law should not be used as an excuse for discrimination, violence, or intimidation against gays and lesbians. Although that law, DOMA, was never formally repealed, under the influence and the cunningness of Barack Obama as president, it was effectively overturned eventually by the U.S. Supreme Court decisions made in 2013 and in 2015. What progressives cannot accomplish through the will of the people by vote, they, they accomplish through judicial activism. That's why the courts are so very, very important, particularly the Supreme Court of the United States. Friday afternoon, the Supreme Court of the United States announced the death of Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. By now, I suppose we've all heard about it. National Public Radio published a detailed story of Ruth's life, her battle for women, long, in-depth. It's an honor to her or anyone. Her advocacy of 14th Amendment rights for women in the workplace and, of course, women's health care, which in today's world really means abortion on demand. NBR notes that Ginsburg told her granddaughter that she didn't want to be replaced by President Trump because she knew what was to come just moments before she passed on from this life. Her death has already set in motion another event 
that will further rock our country. It's an extension, in one sense, an extension of Ruth's battle, Ruth's war for women in her mind. But it's it's a war for much more than that. NPR said Ginberg, Ginberg's death will have profound consequences for the court and for the country. And most news outlets are saying over the weekend and this morning are saying that this whole matter of replacing Ginsburg on the United States Supreme Court will rock this nation in ways we have not yet experienced. And boy, we've been, we've been through it. Out in the West, we've been soaked in smoke and the country's been in lockdown and for COVID-19 and it goes on and on and on. When you think, when you think it can't get any worse, it does. And I, believe me, this will not be business as usual in replacing Justice Ginsburg on the Supreme Court of the United States. As a pastor, as a friend, many times as a family member, I myself have stood with people who have lost loved ones over the years. Whether their passing is expected or not, one can never really be prepared for the personal loss of a loved one. I found that myself. Both my parents lived to be fairly old, fairly elderly. My dad was in his late 80s, my mother in her 90s. I knew they would be passing. They would go to be with the Lord. But yet, what it happens, you're just never quite prepared for it. That would be the case, I would assume, with the Ginsburg family. I thought about them over the weekend. They are Jewish. I do. I haven't heard that they're practicing Jews. But I thought about them, and I, I thought about her readiness to pass. She was so diligent about the things she believed in, most of which I don't believe in. But I thought about her, and I thought about her family. And I prayed for the Ginsburg family personally. I would encourage you to do that as well. I prayed that God would reveal himself to the family in some way, in some special way. Because I believe that would be the right thing to do. I'm going to be talking more about her, her war for women, as it has been called. I want to talk about what we can expect to happen, what has happened over the weekend. So I'll come back to this matter because it is going to be the dominant discussion in the days to come, in the very near days to come. I got a, when people contribute to this ministry, I get a notification when they contribute, when you contribute online. And um, of course the office, when you mail in a check, we're immediately aware of that when we receive it. And I'm immediately aware of it, as I've said because I am so personally connected, even though most of our donors I don't know personally, I haven't met you personally, but I'm so grateful to God for your standing with us in this matter. So I noticed a, I noticed a, a post or, or a, a, just a, a note to me from uh, our service company that we had received a few days ago. We had received a 
$500 contribution. I didn't recognize the name from the person. I believe that was their first contribution to the ministry. But uh, I saw it there, and so I just had the email. I mean, that's if you've contributed to this ministry online, you've seen you fill out a little deal there. And I want to tell you that is confidential. We have never in the history of this ministry, and I have never in the history of my ministry throughout my life given a mailing list and people's personal information. I've never given, traded, loaned, rented anything ever to anyone else, no matter how noble their cause may have been, like the Republican Party or whatever. We've never, ever done that. And I can tell you, we will not. So never spend one moment worrying about that part of it. it. It just won't happen. It's commonplace. I know that. Ministries and other organizations, they loan out names. They rent them out. They put out articles that are paid for by someone else in order to get you to respond to something based on your affinity with that particular you know, XYZ ministry or whatever it is. I know they do that. We have never done that. I can tell you we will not. So just don't worry about that. If you're thinking about donating and that's your concern, just forget it because it will never, ever happen, and it never has happened. So anyway, I saw this, and the information is there. So I just wrote a, an email to this person and said, thank you. So I noticed you gave a $500 contribution to the ministry, and thank you so much. It's very helpful, and, and I deeply appreciate, appreciate it. And God bless you and Gary. So I got this email back from this person. I checked with him to be sure it was okay if I shared this. And he said, yeah. I told him, I said, I'm not going to share your name or anything like that or any even a reference to where you live or anything like that, but just to tell your story. And he said, sure, go ahead. So I got this response back after I had thanked this person for their $500 contribution. Dear Gary, I contributed $500 to Trump and $500 to your ministry. It wasn't in haste. I've been thinking about this for a year. I was homeless. I lived in missions all over the place. I listened to all the sermons, ate all their meals. One day a guy came to me and asked if he could pray with me. I allowed it. After he put, an arm around, put his arm around me and he spoke into the air, some people across the street began calling us fags. They laughed at us. I would not deny Jesus no matter what. I opened my eyes. I looked at him. I felt energy flow from his eyes to my forehead. It's crazy, but true. The big change is the fact that I do not question the truth of the Bible. What happened, and if you're listening today, and you know that I asked for your permission to just share that little bit. If you're listening today, what happened was not so much the gaze of the person but it was the power of the Holy Spirit working within that person who prayed for you. And clearly you opened your heart to Jesus Christ and you felt the transforming power of Almighty God. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of God unto salvation. It is the power of God to transform an individual and to transform a culture. And that's what happened to you and I'm sure you know that now. I want to thank you for sharing that with me and allowing me to share that with our audience today. I'll tell you, in a world where so much is broken so badly, the gospel, the gospel works. 
It transforms lives and it transforms cultures. And we're in the midst of turmoil and chaos unlike anything in recent history, perhaps ever, in America today. And I want to tell you the answer ultimately is not Republican or Democrat. Ultimately, the answer is Jesus. Jesus is the answer for the world today. Andre Crouch was a close personal friend of mine. I love to hear him sing that and a lot of the other songs he used to sing. Jesus is the answer for the world today. Without him, there's no other, and so on. So that's what happened to this individual. It could happen to you as well if you will simply open your heart to Jesus Christ and say, Lord, I, I'm a sinner. I believe that you are the Son of God. I believe that you were crucified. You died and you were resurrected for my sins. And I accept you as my Savior, and I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Your life will be transformed just like this person's life was transformed by the power of God. That's the most important thing I have to say today. But let me talk a little bit more about Ruth Bader Ginsburg's death. Just days before her death, NPR says in their article, as her strength was waning, Ginsburg dictated this statement to her granddaughter, Clara Spira. She says, her granddaughter says, she wrote it down. She said, I wrote it down sitting by my grandmother just as she was passing. The, the message was, quote, my most fervent wish is that I will not be replaced until a new president is installed. It's no secret that Ginsburg had a strong dislike for President Trump. In fact, her words toward the president back in 2016 were so disparaging that she later apologized for her words. They were pretty bad. She was pretty direct. She really didn't like him. In 2016, when lame duck President Obama tabbed Merrick Garland, you may remember that, to replace the late conservative justice Antonin Scalia, Ginsburg told the New York Times, and I checked this out to be sure before I said this this morning, she told the New York Times that Garland should be seated even though the election of a new president was, was looming. Ginsburg said, quote, there's nothing in the Constitution that says the president stops being the president in his last year. So while she gave her wish to her granddaughter, that is not constitutionally correct. And she didn't really believe that until it applied to Donald Trump, whom she deeply disliked. Because there is nothing in the Constitution that says the president stops being the president in his last year, at any point, until he's not the president anymore. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, he refused to move Garland's nomination forward, as you'll recall. NBR also notes that Ginsburg dissented more often and more passionately than others on the high court. Yes, it was about women's rights in general, about equal pay, equal opportunity, equal treatment, all, all of that, and that's all important. Christianity brought that whole concept to the world, to culture. Before that, women were seen as second class. They were chattel in many societies. But Christianity, the New Testament, Judeo-Christian values, have brought women to where they are today. Ruth Bader Ginsburg, I don't know if she recognized the source of that or not, but she was 
a great advocate for women. She fought a war, she said, for women. But her war continues, and now it has taken on a different personality. She fought for women's health care. And let's get real. Women's health care means abortion on demand. It means taking a hard, clear-eyed, honest look at Roe v. Wade. Should President Trump seat another conservative constitutionalist on the court, and he promises he will, in fact, he said this morning that um, he will probably announce, I'm looking at his statement just about two hours ago, he said this morning that he will probably announce his nominee to replace Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg on the Supreme Court by Friday or Saturday. He said, I'll, I think it'll be Friday or Saturday. Um, and he added that he wants to show respect for Ginsburg, who died last Friday. And he said, quote, this, quoting the president, he said, we will probably have services on Thursday or Friday. Obviously, that's being uh, that's being finalized. The plans are being finalized. So he said they're probably going to have the services on Thursday or Friday, as I understand it. And he said we should wait until the services are over for Justice Ginsburg. And so we're looking probably at Friday or maybe Saturday. I will announce who my nominee is to replace Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg on the Supreme Court. So that's it's moving forward rather rapidly. The cry from the left that everybody is hearing now, and it's going to get louder, is that President Trump cannot be allowed to do this a few weeks before an election. But should he do this, and should he seat one of the two or three, and I'll talk about that in a moment, women that he's considering, and he's considering a man as well, but I, I don't think he will choose a man. I don't think he'll nominate a man because of what he said over the weekend after he learned of the passing of Ginsburg. He said, I've got several terrific, brilliant, you know, well-qualified women uh, who were, you know, looking at for this nomination. So I, I doubt that he, he would choose a man. But anyway, there is one man that's being considered. He's an Asian guy from Kentucky. I wasn't aware of him, but Mitch McConnell knows him well and likes him a lot. I think he's an advocate for his nomination, in fact. But the left is, is crying foul. President Trump cannot be allowed to do this the few weeks before an election. Should he do this, and he plans to do it, in many cases, not all cases, but many cases, it could set up a situation where on the Supreme Court there would be six to three favoring conservative votes to radical progressive votes. It puts it out of reach of John Roberts, who was supposed to be a conservative constitutionalist. He is not. He is an, a complete failure as far as what I think Bush thought he was and what he presented himself to be. Profoundly disappointing. But this will have an effect on Roberts, the Chief Justice. He will not control the vote like he does now. So it's even more poignant than it appears on the surface. He announced over the weekend that he will, President Trump, nominate a woman in the next few days. Mitch McConnell has said there will be a vote before the election. This time McConnell says it's different. When people are accusing McConnell, they're saying, well, yeah, but you were, you were against it. Now you're for it. 
He said it's different. He said there's been a precedent in Washington since 1880, in the 1880s, for a Senate of a different party than the president not to consider the nomination of a justice in an election year. This is different in that the Senate and the president are from the same party. And he's right. There has been a president. That's been followed since the 1880s in Washington, D.C., in our government. So to those who say there isn't enough time to see to justice, McConnell and several other Republicans said over the weekend that Ruth Bader Ginsburg was confirmed in just 42 days. Let me talk to you a little bit about some of the possible nominations, nominees. On the stage at a rally in North Carolina on Saturday, President Trump asked this very large crowd, thousands and thousands of people were there, whether they wanted him to nominate a man or a woman. I think he already knows what he's going to do. But anyway, he said, you want me to nominate a man or a woman? He said, we're going to take a scientific poll. And then he said, the press will be writing stories about this, trying to tell the people that it's not scientific. And he was laughing. He said, this is a very scientific poll. How many want a woman? You know, say, yeah, woman or whatever, and then men. Well, the women have the stronger voice vote. So President Trump said, well, okay, then that's, you know, what we're going to do or whatever. He then announced that he will indeed nominate, I'm quoting him, quote, a very talented, very brilliant woman, noting that at that moment the decision as to whom that woman would be is still to be decided. I'm sure he's going to have some conversation with whoever he has in mind, and I think I know who he has in mind, and be sure that they're ready for the battle that they're going to be facing, them and their families or whatever. But most agree that there are three women most under consideration. They're all federal appeals court judges. Amy Coney Barrett, she's loved among conservatives and evangelicals. She's a Catholic, but she's a an evangelical, charismatic Catholic. She and her husband lead worship, and they lead things in their Catholic church. She's highly qualified. She was recently confirmed by the Judiciary Committee for her current position, and both she and her husband are deeply committed Christians. So, And she is a constitutionalist, bar none. Another one being considered is Barbara Lagoa. She's Hispanic. She's from Cuba. First generation, comes from an important state in the election, from Florida. She's held office in Florida. She's now a judge. She, too, is a committed Christian and very conservative, I'm told. I know less about her. I know quite a bit about uh, Coney Barrett. Don't know as much about her, but everybody says she's deeply conservative and deeply committed Christian and um, dependably a constitutionalist. Allison Jones Rushing is another woman that has been mentioned, clerk for Justice Clarence Thomas and Neil Gorsuch. She's said to be reliable, constitutional in her rulings. Then there's a, a man, his name is Judge Amal Thaper, or Thapper, I think. He's Asian American. He's from Mitch McConnell's Kentucky. He's also said to be under consideration. But I don't see, as I said earlier, Trump picking a man after the comments that he's made over the last couple of days. But the thing that I wanted to leave with you today is the fact that Ruth's war continues. The next pick for the Supreme Court will shape important decisions. They'll lead to a ruling by the Supreme Court on Roe v. Wade. I believe that with all my heart. I believe we're on the cusp with all of the chaos and this fighting and this all of this 
turmoil that's going on. And there are people out there saying, peace, we've got to come together. And the disappointing thing to me is that I see Christians self-prescribed, I guess you would say, evangelical Christians. And they're out there saying, we've just got to come together. We've got to stop this fighting. We've got to put politics aside. No, we don't. Because that means you're compromising your faith. And many of you who are religious left, so-called, are compromising your faith. You're claiming to serve Jesus Christ and be faithful to the word of God, and yet you are voting for, you are advocating for, and you are working for people who want to kill unwanted babies, marry men and marry women, and everything else that the Bible stands against. I can't figure out for the life of me where you're coming from. I really can't. And some of you are lifelong friends of mine. And some of you listen to this program. How did you get to where you are today? I don't understand it. You didn't grow up that way. You know the truth. The truth has set you free. But why have you allowed yourself to go back into bondage and buy into this so-called religious left? So we have all these voices going on in our culture, some claiming to be atheists, some claiming to be evangelical Christians, advocating for the far-left, anti-God, anti-biblical policies. So we have all this going on. Protesters this weekend were gathering outside Senator Mitch McConnell's home. Looked like hundreds of them, a whole bunch of them. They were out in the street stopping traffic, you know, the same thing that's been happening in cities across America. Stopping traffic, taking over. The police were there. They were chanting, they were chanting, Ruth sent us. Ruth sent us. Some were carrying signs that said, no ethics, no shame. The crowd was calling for McConnell to be removed from office. He hasn't even done anything yet. I mean, it's amazing. Protesters challenged the police when they arrived. Excuse me. The police arrived to clear the streets because other cars were getting backed up. They couldn't get through the neighborhood. They were out there encouraging other people to get off the sidewalks and get in the streets while the police were demanding that they get off the streets and they wouldn't do it. So the police then backed down and decided to reroute traffic in order to protect the protesters. Apparently, you come down a long hill in the neighborhood there where where, uh, McConnell lives. And um, when you get near his place, you don't see it in advance. And so you don't see it until you get there. Then all these people in the street, so the police said the reason that they acquiesced to the protesters was they didn't want anybody to get run over and killed. Perhaps that was the reason. I don't know, but whatever. But the radical left Democrats are digging in. At any cost, they're digging in to stop Trump from seating another Supreme Court justice. Pelosi says her quiver is full of arrows. Senator Schumer says nothing is off the table. This is activism, not journalism. George Soros was advocating over the weekend, even giving Nancy Pelosi ideas of how she could stop the president from making this next choice. Ruth's war continues. The arrows will fly. And we'll keep you posted right here on this program. Thanks for being with me today. Always a pleasure. I'll see you right here tomorrow.